this morning. It's so good to see you here at Heartland. want to welcome you here at our Valparaiso location this morning. September is almost over, like Pastor Phil said. This morning, October is here. Football season is here. Shameless plug, if you've got a teenager in three weeks, we got our fall retreat. And uh, if you've never been on fall retreat, students, fall retreat's pretty fun, right? Don't let me down. Oh, that was weak. That was so weak. Like, that was, are you serious right now? Let's try that again. Students, if you've been on fall retreat, fall retreat's a blast, right? Like, okay, that was, that was kind of bad, but whatever. It's fun, I promise. So if you've got a teenager, again, tonight we have our youth ministry service and our, and our kids' services. Invite you to bring them back, get rid of them. It's an easy way to kick them out of the house, give you a little time for yourself. And uh, so, so good to see all of you this morning, again, September. It's almost over. Homecoming was last night. Homecoming at Valpo and Chesterton. Mason, did you have fun last night? Have a good time? Take care of the lady? Did you open her door? Was you a gentleman? All right, good job. Good job. I see he must have partied too hard. I see she ain't here this morning. Like, what happened? Did you cut it up on the dance floor too much last night, Mace? Micah, was you watching him? Did you keep tabs? All right. I don't know. She ain't here. I know where she's at. I got to give a shout out. I told him I would. Uh, uh, Malachi was born this morning. That she, she's the aunt of Malachi. Caleb and Sarah on our worship team had a new baby. Malachi, right? I got his name right. I got nervous there for a minute, Julie. I thought I said his name right. So happy early first birthday, day, whatever, born day to Malachi this morning and, uh, and everything. So church is multiplying. I like it. I like it. Have some babies. Ma uh, we're going to go to Haggai. Have babies inside of marriage, by the way. Inside of marriage. That's Hold another sermon. Haggai chapter two, two. Let's get, woo. Got to clear that up real quick. A lot of young people in the room, Pastor. A lot of teenagers in this room. Y'all have babies inside of marriage. That's what you got to do. Haggai chapter two. Let me just get to my text this morning. How about that? So we can just move through that real quick. Haggai chapter two is where we're going this morning as we continue uh, our series on action. And uh, you're wondering, how many messages can you get out of two chapters and 38 verses? Well, one more. That's what we can do. One more this morning. Uh, Haggai chapter 2 is where we're going to go. And we've been looking at this uh, series this month, this month, action, as we've looked at the book of Haggai. How do we have action in the kingdom of God? Because how many of you know the kingdom of God is moving? The kingdom of God is advancing. Amen? Right? Come on. Say it. Let me try it again. The kingdom of God is moving. The kingdom of God is advancing. Amen? And so our, our job and our part as a Christ follower, if, if we call ourselves a Christ follower, we've surrendered ourselves to him as not just Savior, but not just, uh, not just Savior, but also Lord. Then what is our part if his kingdom is advancing? I have a part in that, right? I have a part to be active. And we've been looking at that. What does it look like to mean to be uh, awakened out of this apathetic state that, if we're honest, all of us can find ourselves easily slipping into? We can find ourselves having this apathy, this, this, this apathetic mindset of, of what it means to put Christ first and what it means to advance his kingdom, what it means to utilize my, my gifts, my talents, my, my testimony, right, my treasure, my, 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 my stories, those, those things. How do we engage in growing God's kingdom and reaching other people? And, and we've been looking at all month, uh, what does it look like to put God First, what does it look like to put our hands at work? And last week, I, I talked to you out of Haggai chapter 2 of, of not only what, is, what does it look like to have our hands busy, but our heart right. Because it's so easy to be busy with your hands and your heart be wrong. And so we, we adjusted ourselves last week and the Holy Spirit looked at some things. And I want to take you this morning to the last three verses of Haggai 
chapter 2, and we're going to pick up in verse 20. It says, The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tells the rural governor of Judah that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers, horses, and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. Verse 23, on that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shatel, declares the Lord, and I will make you, oh, I love this, like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Can we pray one more time? God, I thank you for your word this morning. God, thank you for your son, Jesus, who paid the price. God, we just, Lord, celebrated. God, we just, Lord, thought of, we remembered, God, the sacrifice that he paid when we went to the communion table. So thank you because of that sacrifice we could come into your presence, God, boldly this morning. We can have a relationship with you, God, not based upon who we are, but based upon who he is and what he did for us. And so, God, I pray that you will just open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our minds to what it is you have to say to us today. God, let us leave different than how we were when we walked in. God, let us, Lord, leave different than how we were when we clicked on to join this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen and amen. I want to welcome Hebron and, and Westville with us and North Judson. They're down there having service today. Our Wanita campus is at Scarecrow Fest having service out. So we're praying for them this morning and welcome all of you watching and Possibly a new sibling in Kentucky, maybe, I hear. So we'll be praying for them. I said that in the first service, possibly a new sibling, and people's like, who's pregnant? And I'm like, no, 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 that, not that kind of sibling. I was like, in the name of Jesus, nobody in this family needs that kind of sibling. So I was like, we don't want that. So, uh, uh, how, how many of you know, um, how many of you would agree it's pretty easy to spot a pessimist in life? Come on, by a show of hands. If you're sitting by them, don't point to them, right? Pretty easy to spot a, a pessimist in, in, in life, and you know, what, you know what a pessimist is, right? You know what, many of us know what they are. A pessimist is just simply someone who always sees the negative side of things. They can never see the good stuff in life. They're the person that when they walk in the room, this is how I am, y'all pray for me. When they walk in the room, I hear this sound, wah, wah, wah. Like that's what I hear when they walk in the room because I know they're just like, listen, don't judge me, okay? That's how it is on the inside. I know they're just gonna like bring the energy uh, down, they're going to have an outlook on life that, that, that is not very good. That There was a gentleman born on February 22nd, 1788. His, his name was um, Arthur, Arthur uh, Schopenhauer. And he is arguably one of the greatest pessimists in modern history. That's a title to have for your life, right? Um, Arthur Schopenhauer was born and he became a German philosopher and with a doctorate in philosophy, a very sharp, a very bright gentleman. Um, and in short, when you begin to study his philosophy and when you begin to study his philosophical teachings, um, he, he taught his people and he kind of the, the foundational teaching in his thought process was is he taught that we ought to be pessimistic because of a mismatch between our desires and what is possible in the world. Talk about an outlook on life. Is that all of us should naturally bend that way was kind of his thought process. You know, a pessimistic person is one of those people that they would say something like this, like, oh, you think it's bad now, just wait, it's going to get worse, <laughs> right? You're like, thanks, thanks for the encouragement. A, a pessimistic person, one person uh, wrote it like this, 
A pessimistic person can hardly wait for the future just so they can look back with regret. That's a pretty bad outlook on life. Uh, and I don't know about you, I don't know if you've ever found yourself surrounded by people, or maybe even on your life, you have, in your own life, you have found yourself in a situation that you've found yourself surrounded by, by so many negative things and so many negative voices and even so many real problems, and, and you find yourself either being surrounded by pessimistic people or even in your own mind being so pessimistic that you can't even see the potential of what could happen in your future. You ever been there before? Like, like you're so negative in your attitude or the people that you know are so negative in their attitude that they cannot even enjoy the season that they're in because they're too worried about what's about to come. Matter of fact, it happened to me Saturday night, y'all. I'm, I'm a pretty optimistic person. Got a pretty good outlook on life, I think, pretty healthily. And so, so we dropped, you know, our son Mason off for homecoming and Man, he was looking good. He had a white shirt on with a red skinny tie, and, and he had these black and red J's on. And I, if, you, if, you, if you're friends with me on Facebook or follow me on Instagram, I posted a picture, and a lot of people was commenting like, yo, those are nice shoes. I'm like, there you go, son. Shoe game strong. Do it up. And, and so, so we dropped him off, and, and then our other two boys, they went, uh, uh, and they had a birthday party, and they stayed somewhere. So naturally, my wife and I was like, yo, we're going to go out to dinner, and we have no kids. Like, what are we going to do? Let's go hang out. So we went to, you know, went and had a, a, a Applebee's for a date night. And we went and hung out there, and uh, I did not do the Bourbon Street steak uh, or uh, Oreo shake, but I did do the Bourbon Street. You'll get that later. I did do the Bourbon Street chicken. Had that. It was delicious. Hung out. Great conversation. Right. I always love just hanging out with my wife. And then afterwards, she's like, well, "What do you want to do?" And I'm like, "I don't care. What would you like to do?" She goes, "Well, let's go shopping." Like that's. She just had a birthday, and 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 she just turned. Uh, I can't. I can say it because she's so beautiful. She just turned 38, and she looks good for 38, y'all. And so, so she's like, "I got some birthday money. Let's go shopping." I'm like, "It's not my money. It's your money. Go do what you got to do. Anytime you can spend your money, not my." I'm joking. I don't say that. She would beat me. I said, "Yes, let's go shopping." And so we walk into Marshalls, y'all, and immediately, like I'd had a, a full stomach, a great meal, great conversation, y'all, and immediately my whole demeanor and whole attitude changed. Because we walked into Marshalls, y'all, and I saw nothing but sweaters on the rack. And it sunk in that fall is here. Pumpkin spice lattes, Ugg boots, the big foo-foo jackets and vests that people wear. Like, the, the fall weather is here. And I know what you're thinking. That's the best time of the year. But see, this is how my mind works. I immediately got discouraged, Aaron, because I know what comes after fall in northwest Indiana. And it's the snow. And it's the salt. And it's the worst day ever for a parent, the school cancellations. And then you got to figure out, what am I going to do with my kids? Now I'm stuck with my kids. And immediately my mindset, y'all, went from like a good mood to a bad mood. Watch. Why? Just because I saw some sweaters. I know y'all pray for me. I'm just giving yourself, myself some counseling on the stage this morning. And, and immediately, though, like I, I, my mind went to the negative thing that was to come. And I, can, I could not think of the colors changing, the beauty that fall brings, blah, 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 what everybody says, right? Because I know what's happening after. And listen, we laugh, and, but, but that's really a negative mindset. And, and if we're not careful, we do the same things in our own life because we can find ourselves being somewhere and not even appreciating where we're at because we're too, re too busy already thinking about the negative things that's about to come. And we can find ourselves surrounded by problems, right, that are real. How many of you had a problem this week? Come on, raise your hand. Anybody but me. We can find ourselves surrounded by circumstances that are real. 
We can find ourselves surrounded by situations that seem unfavorable. And listen, maybe you've come in this morning, maybe you know exactly what it feels like to have life hammer you this past week. You know exactly what it feels like to be surrounded by problems or circumstances that, and you feel overwhelmed and you're under pressure and you find your mind, if we're honest with ourselves, you find your mind easily being more pessimistic than op op optimistic. We can find ourselves being so overwhelmed with life situations and circumstances, watch, that all we see are the problems that we're facing. And that's a dangerous place to be in life. That, that when I look, I don't see the promises. When I look, I don't see the future. When I look, I don't see the positive things that come. All I do is I see the problems. And that's dangerous. I, I wrote them down this morning. I don't have time to unpack everything. But, but if I stay focused on my, if my, if my focus stays on my problems in my life, this is what happens. It moves us through this process. First, despair. It will despair me in my current state. Like right where I'm at in life. It will begin to cause despair. And in Haggai, we're going to un unpack, and we've been looking at it this, this past month. In Haggai, we've introduced you to these to this people, to this nation of Israel that were extremely discouraged and probably a bit pessimistic. And probably rightfully so. I mean, I mean, their favor, their, their situations, their their circumstances, they, they've been conquered by this Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, and now they're ruled by this uh, Medo-Persian empire, and, and they're allowed to go back to their homeland and rebuild their lives, beginning with the temple, but, 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 but they fail to put God first, and so God has to come and instruct them, and, and, and so, so then they, they repent and they begin to move, and as they begin to work on the house of God, Haggai comes back, again, we just talked about it last week, and rebukes them again, reminding them, listen, you're doing the right things, but you're doing it for the right, right, wrong motives, and so, so they find themselves just surrounded. And I can just imagine the despair that they find themselves in their current state. And if we're, again, you and I, we can find ourselves in the same boat and in the same situations in life that if we allow problems just to be our focus, how discouraging and how despair and how much despair will we experience right where we sit. And it doesn't just stop there, though, because not only will it have me, make me have despair in my current state, then it moves me on and then it will make me have delusions towards reality. And we'll begin to say things like this, when, when, when problems have my focus, when, when circumstances have my focus, we'll, we'll begin to say things like this, well, well, maybe things will always be this way. You know, Pastor, man, I, all, all I'm experiencing is problems in my marriage. Maybe my marriage is always going to be like this. I mean, maybe my finances, you know, I, I'm, try, I'm giving, I'm, I'm trying to be more wise, I'm trying to make more decisions, but it just seems like that, that I'm not having this breakthrough. It seems as if things are changing. So you know what? Maybe I'm just going to always be in financial bondage. Maybe, maybe the future is dark. Maybe, maybe the country is going down. Maybe our society is too law. Maybe things will always be this way. And, and, then, and then it even presses us even more. Maybe, you know what? And if it's always going to be this way, maybe I'm just, uh, it's, it's meant for me to always have this battle. It's meant for me to always have this thought process. You know, I'm just, it's meant for me to always have this addiction in my life. It's meant for me to always get so far, and yet it seems like I hit a roadblock. And so it, 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 when, I, when my focus stays on problems, it, it, uh, with my reality, it begins to make me have disillusions. And then it goes on even further. Then it will, it will discourage me from moving on because I have despair, because I have disillusion about my reality. Then we'll begin to say things like, well, you know what? There's no need in me moving on because simply this is probably all it can ever be. 
There's no need in me trying to work on my marriage. There's no need in me reading the word of God and trying to be delivered from this thought process. There's no need in me getting in a small group and trying to get a, a group of people around me to support me because, I mean, this is just all I know. This is all it's ever going to be. I mean, there's no need in me working and stepping and going forward. And, and so we'll buy into that lie. This is all it can ever be. Or we buy into the other lie. Well, this is all it has ever been. So why should it be different? I mean, I come from a, a family of divorce. I come from a family of alcoholic, of alcoholics. I come from a family that, that struggles with, with mental health. I, I, I come from a family that, that, that just things happen, and, and, and this is rampant. And that is, I come from a family. I mean, everybody in my family has cancer, and, and they've died with cancer. So I just, I mean, that's my background. And, and so, so then hear me this morning. Then discouragement see, seeps in our life, and, and, it, and it stops us from doing what we've been saying. Action, it keeps us from, from moving on. And then ultimately, not only does it just discourage us, then ultimately it will defeat us in our journey. So ultimately, this is what we do. We just sit down and we quit. We stop going to church. We stop getting in a small group. We stop getting in the Word. We, we stop, you know, surrounding ourselves with, with positive people that's going to pour into the purpose that God has put in our life. And, I mean, what's the use in, in even trying, Pastor Matt? Why, why should I even do it? I mean, I mean, you've been preaching. Y'all been preaching. We've been talking about action all week. Why do I need a small group? Why do I need to use my, my talents? Why do I need to be involved in the kingdom of God? I mean, why, why should I even try? All I see is the problem. All I see are circumstances that seem to surround. You, you, if you go study the nation of Israel, we, we know in the Old Testament that constantly got them in trouble is they let their focus get off of what God had said about them and what God had said to them. And we, we see in Exodus when they came out of Egypt and they come out of slavery, right, that, that they're inheriting the promised land. They're moving forward. They're winning battles. And, and there's, a, there, there's a spot where, where they start complaining so much to Moses. And they say this statement, and I'll give you the cliff note, the paraphrase version. They basically say to Moses, I don't even know if it's worth it anymore. We should just go back to Egypt. They, they were saying, I would much rather be a slave in my comfort than pursue the good things that God has and the promises that he has for me. What's the use in moving on? What's the, move, what's the use in keep going on? And hear me this morning. There's no doubt that you and I face discouragement. There's no doubt that you and I face problems. There's no doubt that, that even the nation of Israel, as we've been looking the past few weeks in Haggai chapter 1 and chapter 2, there's no doubt that they are facing things. But this is what I love about God. God is about to shift their focus, and this is what he wants to do for us this morning. He's about to shift their focus from their problems onto his promises. He's about to shift, shift their focus onto what, what, what they were seeing and what they were experiencing, which was real and which was true, and he was about to remind them of who he is. If you look at Haggai chapter 2, our text this morning, it's, a, it's actually the second message on, on the same day as the first message that we looked at last week. Remember last week, he said, you're doing all the right stuff, but your heart is wrong. And, and right after he gives that message, it's like a, it's like a two-for-one special on the same day. He gives them another message. It's on that same date that the second message comes in verse 20 and verse 23. It's a short message given on the same day as the previous one, but... But the, but the emphasis is quite different. He addresses this message to Zerubbabel, and, and we're going to talk about that right at the end. And, and, and this particular message is intended to encourage Zerubbabel in his role as a political leader of this nation. Despite difficult and uncertain times that the Persian Empire was experiencing and bringing on 
the people, despite difficult and, and uncertain times that they had already been experiencing themselves, that this message comes forth. And, and if your Bible, if you, if you read it, it just says the, the signet ring. But, but, but I think you could even title this, this particular passage, these, this section of verses, uh, just simply the Lord's promises to Zerubbabel. And really that's what it boils down to in our life, I think. It's problems and promises, which one do you see? Because we see them both. We experience them both. We experience problems. We experience, we know the promises of God. We know what he says. So, so we know they're both there. But my question for you this morning is which one gets your attention? Which one gets my attention? In, 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 this, in Haggai chapter 1 and verse 2, there, there's so much eschatological things that we could, eschatological, eschatological, uh, you know what I'm saying, eschatology, there we go. There's so many things that we could look at that, that, is, that is being prophesied that foretells future events, hands down. And, and this morning, that's not what I want to necessarily look at in, in that particular context, but, but we could spend a lot of times. We know that, that Haggai is the prophet. We know that he's talking to the nation of Israel. We know what is happening. But I really think when you look at Haggai 1 and 2, that really this book is all about God. We see a lot, Pastor Phil talked about it in the first week, we, we see a God who, who demands to be first in our life, who demands not to just be an add-on, but he wants to be the very number one thing in your life. And sometimes even in our own life, we can find ourselves being uh, off balance because that's the mistake that we make. We just try to make God an addition. God is not an addition. He is the number one thing in your life. And when you try to make him addition, just an addition in your life, just something you add on, just something you check a box, just something you do, just to say you did it, God's like, no, no, that's not how I work. So he, he comes and he says, I'm, I want to be number one uh, in your life. And, and, so he, and so then he begins to work. And, and it's a big a testament. And, and God shows of how faithful and how true his promises are. No matter what you're looking at this morning, no matter what the nation was seeing, he's going to come to us and he's going to re remind us of some promises that it doesn't matter what you look at, that, through, that with Christ, with God on your side, your future is always brighter than your past. That, that with God inside, on your side, it, do, it doesn't matter what you're facing, it doesn't matter how big your problems are, his promises are greater. I, I want to look at four promises he gives us this morning. Here's the first thing in verse 20 we see, we see the promise of his voice. In verse 20, it says, the word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. His voice. If you study Haggai chapter 1 and chapter 2, two short books, 38 verses. My counting is not perfect. But I went through this week and I looked. And if you begin to look at phrases like word of the Lord, and the word of the Lord came, or declares the Lord, or says the Lord, or the Lord's message, 38 verses, you see those, that particular phrase, that particular passage, two books, 38 verses, you see that 23 times in this short book. 23 times in 38 verses, it says the Lord is speaking, the word of the Lord came, the, the word of the Lord uh, shows up or declares the Lord. 23 times in 38 verses. Do you think God was trying to tell them something? Do you think God is maybe trying to 
show us something. This is not, now we know Haggai delivers the message, right? He's a prophet of God. He shows up to the nation of Israel. We know that he delivers the message. But, but this is not Haggai's message. This is not Haggai's thoughts. This is not Haggai's challenge. This was God, the heavenly father, the creator of the universe. This was his message, his thoughts, his challenge. These were the very words of God. And listen, hear me this morning. I think you and I, we face great danger in our life when we are surrounded by our problems, when we look at things in our life. And we face great danger when you and I stop listening and, and, and hearing the voice of God for his direction. No wonder problems seem to overwhelm us when we no longer listen to what he's saying. No wonder it seems like life begins to defeat us when we stop searching out for the message that he has for us. What are you trying to say, Pastor Matt? Don't you think it's just more than a coincidence that when you come on a Sunday morning that, that you find yourself sometimes, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I found myself sometimes I can be so overwhelmed by the week that I have come out of and I can be so overwhelmed by the week that I'm going to that my mind becomes distracted and my heart becomes distracted that I miss out on what God has for me in that moment. I miss out on his message. Don't you think the enemy knows that if you and I would get a grasp on what God says about us, on what God says about our circumstances, on what God says about our situations, on what God says about your purpose, on what God says about your family, on what God says about your life, don't you think the enemy knows that if you and I get a message from the Lord, and I don't mean just like a feel-good, pat-me-on-the-back message, and I don't mean just something I get on a Sunday morning, but when I open my word, when I'm hanging out in time with God, that that those moments that he shows up in my life and begins to declare things over my life, that something begins to shift in my attitude. Something begins to shift in my mindset. Something begins to shift in the way that I think. Because now I start looking at it, not based upon what I see. Now I start looking at it, not based upon what I feel. Now I start looking at it, not based upon what I'm experiencing. But I start looking at it in the context of what God is saying about me. I start looking at it in the context of what he's saying through me. I start looking at the context of what he's saying about my situation. And if I understand the power that his voice has in my life, oh, it'll change the way I see everything. His word is still powerful. And not just this too. Listen, this is how he speaks to his word. He speaks, yes, to a pastor. He can speak in small groups. But even when I'm driving in the car, listen, I've come to find out that he speaks. And when he speaks, things change. When what he says about my situation gets in my heart, things change. And I don't know about you, I, there's moments in my life, that's what I need. I, I, don't, I don't need just a, something to make me feel good. I need a thus saith the Lord moment. I need God to show up and speak life in me. I need God to show up and speak life over my, my circumstances. When I'm experiencing problems in my life, I need an encounter with a true living God. I need an encounter with the creator of the universe speaking something over me. Don't, don't you just get, don't you miss this absolute wonder of this statement that when God shows up and God speaks to us. Because listen, this is what I've come to understand is if I make time to listen, oh, I hear that he's still speaking to me. If I make time to, to adjust my ears spiritually, to adjust my ears, I, I, I will understand and I will hear that he is speaking. It's, it's the promise of his voice. It's not audible. It's not loud, booming. I've I've never ex personally experienced an audible voice of God except for one time in my life, and that was only once in my life. But, but every other time I've experienced it is when I go to his word. 
It's when I'm sitting in the service. It's when I'm even in a small group. It's when I'm just driving down the road and the radio's off, the podcast is off, and I'm just hanging out with God, and he comes, and maybe I'm just talking to him, and I'm praying, and he comes, and he begins to whisper something in my heart, begins to change everything that I see. His promises get declared over my life. The great and glorious God, the creator of all universe, the king and Lord above all, he speaks to you. He wants to speak to you. That's his promise to us this morning. He says, take heart, take light. He says, I want to give you this, this, this voice. I want to give you the promise of my voice. And then watch, he doesn't just say, I'm, I'm more than just a voice. Watch what he says. He moves on to the second thing, the promise of his power. He says in verse 21, tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. That I'm about, one translation says, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth. Another translation says, soon I will shake the heavens and the earth. I've never been in an earthquake before, nor do I ever want to be in an earthquake. I hear that a little sketchy, so I don't want to experience that. But I do know that when an earthquake happens, it's very noticeable. And everyone around it, everyone around it quickly recognizes something's going on. And, and I do know, again, that, that for this, this is the future prophetic word of things that are about to come as well. But I think for even in this moment, in this instance, he says, listen, I, I'm about to shake that soon. I will shake the heavens and earth. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth soon. I will shake the heavens and the earth. I'm about to. And listen, I'm going to be honest, y'all, this, this is where... This is where I struggle sometimes, is I get, I get that God has the power, but it's his timing that sometimes throws me off. <laughs> right? He, he told Zerubbabel, we know this is a prophetic message. He didn't give Zerubbabel the day, the time, the day of the week, the time of the, time of the day, the month, the calendar. He didn't say everything. He says, listen, soon I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. And what's going to happen? Things, it's going to be noticeable what I'm about to do. It's going to be noticeable on your behalf, on the nation of Israel's behalf, what, I, what I'm going to cause happen. And, and, and he never gave him a date and time. And I think that's probably, honestly, for me, I'm just talking about myself, that's one of the hardest things I struggle with when it comes to my walk with Christ. It's not, not denying the fact that he has the power, but it's when, God. I mean, all I see is problems. All I see are circumstances. My kids will come to me, and they always want to ask me a question, right? And they'll ask something, and, and sometimes it's not a yes or no, you know, answer. You know how kids do. They'll pin you down real quick and try to catch you off guard. They're smart, man. They're smart. And, and then they always play the, well, hey, I asked mom. She said, come ask you. And I'm like, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to pit us against each other now. I got you. I know what's happening. I was like, we're going to go talk to mom in a minute, right? And sometimes it's a yes or no thing, and that can happen quickly. But, but sometimes it's a, it's, a deep, it's a deeper conversation. Like, it cracks me up. Teenagers will text me sometimes, like a long paragraph. I was just telling somebody in our youth group this, and, and I love when teenagers ask me questions. And they'll, they'll text me, like, a long paragraph of, the, like, this deep theological question that theologians are still, like, to this day dissecting and they don't have an answer for. And I'll text them back, like, well, hey, let me dig, let me dig in. I need to read up on this. And and I'll get back with you. I'm going to have to have an answer. I don't have an answer. And, and, and then they'll say, well, like, well, when do you want to talk? And I'm like, well, you just asked me, like, one of the deepest questions in life. Give me some time, right? And my boys would do the same thing. Well, well Dad, when, when, when are you and Mom are going to talk? Well, just give me a second. When we have time, we'll talk. And then, like, five minutes later, when are, when are y'all going to talk about what I asked you about? Okay, listen, just give us, when Mom gets home, you know,
she's at work right now. I can't call her asking her this question. Well, hey, when are you? And I'm like, would you just, Lord Jesus, would you just shut up is what I want to tell you, the kids, but I don't do that. And I'm like, just leave us, leave us alone and write. And, and it's not the fact that they don't, they know that I'm going to give them an answer, but, but what do they struggle with? It's the timing of that answer. Oh, isn't timing a lot of fun in life? That, that God shows up in our life. And again, we look at our problems and we look at our circumstances and we look at things that are around us. And oh, hear me this morning. I know God is powerful. I mean, again, put it back in the context of Israel. Here is Israel, right, in an occupied country controlled by a foreign oppressor. They, these are strong words to a country in captivity that he says, soon I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. Like that is something strong. And, 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 you know, he's kind of for them trying to say, like, listen, you think the people that are in control are in control. Don't worry about it. I'm about to shake everything up. And what were their nations larger than Israel? Yes. Were their armies stronger than Israel? Absolutely. But God was reminding them of his power. He says, listen, I know you don't know the time or the day, but listen, I have all the power, and soon I'm going to move on your behalf. Soon I'm going to move in your favor. It reminds me of the scripture that if God can be for me, who can be against me? And sometimes I don't know when he's going to do it. Sometimes I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know when he's going to show up. Does it take longer than sometimes I would like? Absolutely. Does it look a little bit different sometimes than what I would like? Absolutely it does. But what I do know is he does give me a promise of his power. And when he does show up, oh, it's always on time. When he does show up, it's always in the right manner. When he does move on my behalf, everyone around can see that he's moving on my behalf. When he does come into my life and begin to move, my problems and my circumstances seem to fade away very quick. And even though my problems seem like they have me kept captive, God is reminding me this morning and is reminding you that he's still in control, that he's still got power, that he's still, that he's still greater and bigger than your problems and your circumstances that you are facing, that he is the God that, that can shatter kingdoms in his hand. It's the promise of his protection. Again, the word host that you begin, if, you, if I had time this morning, you begin to look at it, it could be translated literally to the God of battle. And this title reveals God's strength and his sovereignty. He says, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. And he says, I'm going to shake it on your behalf. Because hear me this morning, when we get to those moments in our life, and maybe you're here this morning, when, when I face problems, when I'm facing unfavorable circumstances, the enemy comes really quick, and he begins to chat in my ear. He'll say, uh-huh, God's getting you now. Yep, you're paying for your mistake that you, that you did last year. You're paying for what you said last week. He's trying to get you now. He's, trying to, he's, fighting, he's fighting against you. Listen, he's trying to teach you a lesson, and you clearly aren't learning your lesson, and so he's doing it again. Listen, he doesn't love you. He, he doesn't have the best interest in for you. And I have to remind myself, that's not who God is. Listen, God is not fighting against me. God is fighting for me. That's what he's reminding the nation of Israel. He says, I haven't left you by your side. And for you and I, we have to remind ourselves when those, teams, when those times in life come, when those obstacles come in our life, listen, the enemy, when he begins to chirp in our ear, when you and I begin to face problems, we have to remind ourselves that God is fighting for me, not against me. God is on my side. He is not against me. God wants to see me succeed. God wants to see me advance in his kingdom. God wants to see his best that he has for me. Doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. Doesn't mean it's always going to be beautiful. Doesn't mean I'll never face any trials or never 
Any situations? No, it does not. But when I got God on my side, I said it earlier, if God is for me, who can be against me? When I've got the creator of the universe on my side, there's no problem. There's no situation. There's no mountain. There's no obstacle. There's no circumstance. There's nothing that is greater than who he is. There's no problem that outweighs his promises. There's no, there's no power that outweighs his hand when he is in control of my life. So he reminds us of the, pro- of the promise of his hand. He reminds us of the promise of his power. He shows us the promise of his voice that he's still speaking. And then, oh, I love how 23 ends. He, he shows us the promise of his heart. Again, this morning in our text, as we've looked over the last few weeks, the nation of Israel is discouraged. Problems surround them, circumstances unfavorable. God is coming and adjusting them. He's moving them into action. And as things around them have not necessarily changed on the external, he's shifting things on the internal inside of them. And and, and he shows in verse 23 the promise of his heart. And I love this. He says, on that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you. Now he's talking to Zerubbabel himself. All three verses he's been talking, but now he's calling him out by name. I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shatel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. The, power, the promise of his hand shows up as the God of protection. The, the promise of his heart shows up. I wrote it down like this in my notes. He reminds us that he's the God of selection. He's the God who redeems. Aren't you glad he's a redeemer? Aren't you glad he doesn't throw away what we would throw away? Aren't you glad he didn't quit when I wanted to quit? Aren't you glad that he says, no, I know you think you're done, but I'm not done with you. He says, he says to Zerubbabel, he says, I will make you like my signet ring. It's a promise of his redeeming power. Come on, worship team. Zerubbabel was, just like the nation of Israel, no doubt discouraged. He was no doubt facing problems, situations, circumstances that was unfavorable. I forgot to tell you who he was. Zerubbabel was more than just like a random dude in the nation of Israel. If you study the Bible and history, you know how lineage works and how kingdoms work. Zerubbabel was the great, or I'm sorry, was the grandson of King Jehoiakim. And so was therefore, if you go read uh, in the New Testament, and this is the redeeming power of God, you go read Matthew chapter 1, verse 12 through 13, you see Zerubbabel by mention, mentioned by name in the, line of, of, uh, in the lineage of King David, which is where we get Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ coming from the lineage of King David, right? And, so, and that's prophetic in that nature as well. And so, so Zerubbabel was grandson of King Jehoiakim. But instead of wearing a crown like you would as royal, as royal heritage, instead of wearing a crown and sitting on a throne, Zerubbabel finds himself just this humble governor of a struggling remnant of Israel, of this Jewish nation, who have been trying to complete the building of this honestly rather disgraceful temple of the way that they're going about. I mean, here he is. He should be, y'all, sitting on the throne as king. He's just a governor. And if you go read back Jeremiah 22, you go study for your own personal time. Go read Jeremiah 22. It reveals 
why this is so important, that Zerubbabel's ancestor, his grandfather, King Jehoiakim, had actually been rejected by God. He was one of the kings that got the nation of Israel in trouble. It was the decisions that his grandfather had made that kind of rejected the nation of Israel for a season. So watch. His grandfather was the reason they had been rejected. He's about to be the reason they're going to be accepted. The redeeming power of Christ. I hope you get it. He, he, his grandfather was a reason they was in despair. He was the reason they were discouraged. He was the reason they were doubting. He was the, he was the reason wondering if it was ever going to happen. Zerubbabel would be the reason that encouragement would come. Zerubbabel would be the lineage of King David. We know who comes from the lineage of King David. And, and so here is God. He comes and he has this encouraging word for the governor. And he says, I'm going to take you, the one that because of your lineage had been rejected, I'm going to take you, Zerubbabel, you're now accepted, and I'm going to make you, and if that, if it's, if, as if that's not cool enough, he says, I'm going to make you my signet ring. Now, why is that important? God doesn't just say things for no reason, right? A signet ring, if you go and look back in history, God compares Zerubbabel to this royal signet ring. And this is certainly encouraging to, to him, but there's something so much bigger going on. And isn't that how God operates? There's always more than what we think. There's always more happening behind the scenes than what we realize. That, that if you go and look, the signet ring was used by kings to put their official signature on documents. It would a ring be a ring that they would like legitimately wear. Then a lot of times they would melt some wax on a document. They would take that ring and place it in that hot wax, and it would be the seal of approval. It would be the seal of their authority on that document. So watch. So God looks at Zerubbabel, and, and he says, I'm going to make you my ring, this guarantee that a king, and it would be a guarantee as he, as he put the signet ring, it would not only be a guarantee of authority, it would be a guarantee that the king would keep his promise on what he said. <laughs> you didn't get it. It would be a guarantee. He said, Zerubbabel, your grandfather was the reason y'all got rejected. He says, but you're going to be the guarantee that I, the real king, keeps my promise on what I say. He says, you're going to be my signet ring. You're going to be the one that I'm going to guarantee. And, and I know what you're still thinking. You're like, but Pastor Matt, we are not in biblical times, and there is no ring that, that I have to wear. He's, here is God, and he says, listen, he says, I'm going to put my place, and, and I'm going to put my purpose, I'm going to put my hand, I'm speaking to you, and now you will be the guarantee. And I know what you're thinking. You say, but, but what is my guarantee? Well, it was through the lineage of Zerubbabel, I just told you, from the, king, the lineage of King David, who do we get? Jesus Christ. Who would be the ultimate redemption for who? For all of humanity. Who would be the ultimate sign for who? That God is a God of promises. Who would be the ultimate sign of what? That God does exactly what he says. Who would be the ultimate sign of what? That there is no sin. There is, we sung about it. There is no gap. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And so Jesus Christ comes as a guarantee. And it doesn't just stop there. If I can take you to Ephesians chapter 1 and 13. And it says, and you now also were included in Christ when you heard Heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Watch what he says. When you believed, you were marked, oh, don't miss it, in him 
with a seal. Oh, what is that seal? It's the spirit now that we have available in us and through us because Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter now what I see. It doesn't matter the problems that surround me. It doesn't matter the circumstances. I can stand upon the promises of God who because of Christ Jesus are yes and amen. I can stand on the promise that he is still speaking. I can stand on the promise of his protection. I can stand on the promise of his hand. I can stand on his promise that he is not against me, but he is for me. I can stand on the promise that his purpose is still inside of me. I can stand on the promise that in him I can do all things. I can stand on the promise that there is no mountain. There is no valley. There is no obstacle. There is no devil in hell. There is no demon that can stop inside of me what he has put. So now I can have action in my life. I don't have to sit down and be despaired. I don't have to sit down and be discouraged. But I can stand with my shoulders back, with my head up as a son and as a woman and as a daughter of a living God because he's put it inside of me. He sealed it with his spirit. He sealed it with what Jesus Christ did. And I can be a witness to all those around me. What? That he is a promise-keeping God. Come on, give him some praise if you can out of that. You will be my witnesses, is what Jesus said, and all Jerusalem, Judea, and all the ends of the earth. You will be my witness that my signet ring, my seal, is upon you. Listen to me. God knows what he's doing this morning, church. God knows exactly what's happening. God this morning says, I have a plan for you. And there's nothing that can happen to you that I do not allow. I've got a plan for you, and there's nothing that can happen to you that I cannot, that I cannot move in. And listen, while we're still waiting for the return of Christ, that's what Haggai and the nation of Israel was doing. It was a messianic prophecy that they were getting for the future. They were waiting for the return of the Messiah. It would be over 500 years that Jesus would fulfill some of the things that we read in Haggai. And listen, we're still waiting for that return of Christ again. But while we're waiting... I don't want to just sit and be stale. I want to move. I want to have action. I, I, I want to be the seal. I want to be the signet ring when I walk to that city, when I walk to my campus, students. I, I want to be that signet ring when I walk to that job. I want people to see God's hand upon me. Hear me this morning. Come on, I want you to stand all over this place, and I want you to bow your heads. Listen, hear me this morning. There, there is nothing... I love the story of Zerubbabel. He redeemed him from a heritage that had been tarnished. And hear me, I hear the Spirit of the Lord speaking to someone this morning. That I don't know your story, I don't know your past, I don't know where you came from, but you look back on, on your past, and you're like, but can, can God use me? Can, can, I, can, I be, can I be sealed? Can he do anything with my life? Listen, hear me this morning. There is nothing that you and I face that unqualifies me as unredeemable and unusable. There, there is nothing... Hear me, over your life, I'm speaking this to somebody. There's nothing that you have experienced that unqualifies you this morning as unredeemable and unusable. So come on right now, as a sign of surrender, can we lift up both hands to God? And come on, hear me this morning. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's where you start. You have everything accessible and available that God has for you through Jesus Christ. What he did on the cross, we just celebrated it. We, we remembered it in communion this morning. And if you haven't done that, right in your seat. 
Come on, I want you to pray right there in your seat and just say, God, thank you for your son, Jesus. Come on, if you're in your seat, you're in your living room, pray it with me. God, thank you for your son, Jesus. God, that you sent to pay a sacrifice for me. And so, God, Lord, today I surrender my life to you. God, today I ask forgiveness of my sins. God, today, Lord, I, I want to be the woman and the man that you have created me to be. So, God, I accept, God, what Jesus did on the cross for my sins. And come on, if you're there too, as you stand, come on with hands raised in your living room. With hands raised, come on, campus leaders, come. Come on, if you're here this morning, you came in, you say, you know what, I walked in and there's problems all around. Come on, I want you to remind yourself of the promises of God, that He is speaking. Let Him speak to you this morning. Come on, right where you stand, Holy Spirit, God, we come to you this morning. Come on, talk to God for 90 seconds. God, we thank you that you are a promise-keeping God. God, we thank you that your seal has been placed upon us this morning. So, God, we look past our problems. We look past what we have walked in this place with this morning. And, God, we declare your promises over our life. We declare that you are speaking. God, we declare that you are moving. God, we declare that you are still in control. We declare that we as your people, God, we are going to be a people of movement, God. We're not going to sit down and settle. We're not going to sit down and be stale. God, we want to be people of action this morning. Come on, declare that over your life now. Come on, sing this song. Come on, sing this over your life. God, you are a promise-keeping God. And we will be people of action because of you this morning. Come on, he is making a way this morning. Come on, sing it. I see you move. Come on, you move. Come on, sing it one more time. God's redeeming power. Listen to me this morning, church. Don't throw it, don't ever let the enemy discourage you to throw something away that God wants to redeem in your life. To get rid of something that God wants to use. And this week, as we go, I want you to, to pray for those moments that God's going to give you, the opportunities that God's going to give you to be that signet ring, to be that seal, to be that sign to those around. I want you to place your hand on somebody's shoulder if you're comfortable. Grab them by the hand if you want. And come on, I want you to pray for that mom, that dad, that student, that grandma, that grandpa, that man, that woman. That God, thank you. Come on, let's pray together for our family. God, thank you for every mom, dad, every student. God, every man, every woman in, the, in their living room. God, here in Valparaiso. God, Lord, we've come in this morning, God, and 
Lord, you've declared your promises over us. Thank you for your promise. God, thank you, Lord, for your hand on us. God, thank you that you are speaking. You spoke today. Thank you, Lord, that you are in control, that you're moving. But God, as we go this week, God, I pray that we would be that, Lord, just like Zerubbabel. God, thank you for your redemption. But God, I pray that we'd be the sign to others. Let us not sit on what you're doing in our life. Let us not, Lord, hold it to ourselves as we go to our campuses. God, as we go to our our communities as we go to work. God, as we're around our family members. God, let us be, Lord, that signet ring. Let us be that, 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 that you put your authority, Lord, your approval. God, that we would be the, Lord, the proof of your promises. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would allow us this week, God, to be people of action. Help us, Lord, not to sit. God, help us not be stale. God, help us not be apathetic. God, help us not to be so overwhelmed by life and culture and the world and problems. Lord, that are real, that are true. But God, help our focus stay upon who you are. Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen and amen. And amen. Come on, can you give Jesus a big hand clap? clap. Would you do that? Awesome. Wow. His voice, his hand, his power, his heart. Some of you heard the voice of God this morning. I know. I know some of you have been seeking. You're needing some answers. Uh, and God, God, speak, God spoke to you today. The word of the Lord is always powerful. Amen? And, and the challenge of the word that you hear and you heard today is to don't fall back into that pessimistic mindset. Don't fall back into, man, it, it won't happen. It's not going to work out. I'll never know. Listen. God's given you a word today that says, I want you to move past that. Know my voice. Know, know, know that God, my power is available through my hand. And man, the heart of God. Isn't that awesome? That his heart is the same. Hey, next week, we start a brand new month with a brand new word. And guess what the word is? Are you ready? The word is ambition. Is ambition good or bad? Is it sinful or godly? We're going to talk about that. Because I want to tell you, there's some of us, we need more ambition. There's some of us, we need to look where we're being so ambitious at. How do we balance that out? We're going to talk about that all month of October. It's going to be an exciting month of what God's going to be doing. Again, hey, if you're a first-time guest, stop back by the guest services this morning. Let's meet you, greet you. Hey, please be safe. Have an incredible day tonight. Student ministry, uh, kids ministry, Royal Rangers mission as Father, let goodness and mercy follow them all this week. Lord, go before them, behind them, beneath them. Let the angel of the Lord encamp around about. Let your face shine upon their path this week. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Hey, love you. You be blessed. We'll see you next time.